RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. So last week we talked about the Reavers of Harkenwold, the storyline from the Dungeon Masters kit from the 4E Essentials line. And this week we're talking about something um, not completely different, but a a completely different set of of lessons learned. We're going to talk about our Halloween game. I really enjoyed this game. And I didn't, so I can't wait to get into that. Because we have, have, since, since the end of the last show, we have made it a point not to discuss this game so we can have our, our I don't want to say disagreement, right? But so we can hash this out on the air, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a lot of fun with it. So uh, this was one of those things that it seemed really novel to me at the time. Yeah. And, and it was. But before we start discussing it, let's talk about the, uh, the RSS feed and the website. Yeah, so if you want to uh, subscribe, and you really should. I mean, why are you listening if you don't want to subscribe? Really? Uh, go to our website. Uh, honestly, at this point, probably the best place to go is tfradio.net. That'll take you to our main page. Uh, I, by this point, actually, I think we've just launched our new site. If not, uh, you will have it next week. But uh, you'll have a link there uh, on the drop-down. Select RPG Lessons Learned uh, and click on the uh, iTunes link or the RSS link, depending on however you want to get it. You can also get it via email, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, because I, I still tend to manage things in my mailbox. Uh, I know it's 2017, but that's how I do it. So I actually have some honest questions for you about subscribing that I will ask you at the end of the show. Because I, I think that they're going to come off as contrived, but they're honest questions for me that just occurred to me. I, I was looking at my phone while you were talking to, to look at my apps, but we'll cover that at the end. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. All right. Uh, so the Halloween game. I wish I, I wish I'd looked up what year this was, but it was probably Halloween twenty twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I, that's, that seems this was at your house. It was yes, it, it was one of the earliest games at the house. So we bought the house in twenty twelve. So mm-hmm. we bought it in August or uh, J, July August of twelve. And I remember gaming being a consideration with the house. Yes, it was, um, which was a great place to be in, but. Um, you so you're right because I also remember that as as my wife Susan helped me put together some of the visuals for this thing, she was very very pregnant. So this was definitely 2012. Okay, we got that sorted out. So the Halloween game, we had a couple of things going on here. Um, we had never really resolved that very first red box. You know what what's going on with this necromantic skull? Um, we had dealt with the twisting halls from the red box. We had dealt with the, I forget her name, the, the, the tiefling um, necromancer outside the Twisting Halls. We, we talked about that. We had dealt with all that. And then we started in on the uh, the DM's kit line, the, the, the Reavers of Harkenwold. And we came back, and I wanted to really finish off that necromancer campaign. And also, Mike had been getting really tired of his character. So, as I recall, he'd been bouncing back and forth between a ranger and a cleric. And he really didn't like the cleric. He didn't like the whole healing thing. So he wanted to kill off his cleric. So I got his permission, and we were actually going to do a heel turn in the middle of this game. <laughs> That's wrestling terminology. Yes, it is. Um, he was going to. We were going to have one of our party members turn bad and reveal that he'd actually been a bad guy the whole time. Mike's character was going to do a heel turn, and then and then get squashed 
by the other players. But to set this up, this was all about necromancy, and it was Halloween, so it was perfect. I had scheduled an evening game with you guys for you guys to come over, and we had you know, drawn all the curtains and closed all the blinds and gotten it really good and dark. And I had gone to Michael's and bought quite a few arts and crafts supplies. And honestly, arts and crafts are, are probably the theme of, of, of uh, this episode today. So I had bought um, quite a bit of foam core board. I had bought a bunch of tea lights. I had bought quite a, a lot of craft paint. I um, It was around Halloween. So I had got some styrofoam skulls and some some clay skulls and um, a couple of skull uh, silver skull things like like lanterns that that accepted tea lights and I had tea lights and skulls and I had all the stuff set up for for ambiance. I had also taken a styrofoam skull that looked pretty real, it, it, not real. It looked pretty good, and I had taken a sharpie and I had, I had the description from the Twisting Halls adventure was that this skull had all these runes written on it. So I had I had taken a sharpie and written all these runes on this styrofoam skull, and I actually had it in a wooden treasure chest looking box that I had also gotten at Michael's. So I put a ton of work into arts and crafts and visuals for for this game. Uh, the biggest piece of work that I did is the tavern. So because we were following in the footsteps of the Penny Arcade podcasts, you guys were spending your nights and weekends in the Silver Unicorn. Uh, was Sarah Osterman's tavern there in Fallcrest, which is the same place that the guys in Penny Arcade hung out. So we were using the Silver Unicorn. Actually, I actually built the Silver Unicorn out of foam core board. It had a, a nice foam core base. I had you know carved the 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 one inch by one inch grid in the whole base. I had built this you know log cabin, half log cabin, half stone structure with windows and doors and a roof, and I'd painted it. Um, and we'll have pictures in the show notes, but I had, I had, I had a fireplace and I had, had carved the foam core of the fireplace to look like brickwork. I had glued a tea light up inside the fireplace upside down so I could turn it on. And, and when the fireplace, it was actually two fireplaces, one in the kitchen and one in the common room. And when those were on and the lights were off, the tavern looked great. Yeah. I'd also made tables and chairs and furniture. Um, so Mark, who we, who we mentioned the last episode, I had shown him months prior those poster boards from my very first game where I had drawn that tavern, and I had sharpied in right there in the poster board the tables. And I remember he told me, oh, next time you should have those be separate little pieces of paper so you can move those around. And I took that to heart in this game, and I actually made little tables and chairs out of construction paper and glue and popsicle sticks and, and, and things like that. This is, this is I don't know if it's before the days of DM Scotty, um, Brian, that's a, that's a YouTube channel called, uh, the dungeon craft where this guy, or sorry, the DMs craft where this guy, DM Scotty makes these amazing craft projects. I had not discovered that yet. So everything I did was nowhere near DM Scotty's level, but it was that same kind of thing. It was foam core and paint and tea lights to make something look really good. Um, I had been inspired by the Penny arcade podcasts. I think by this point they had put one of them out there, um, as video. And I was so blown away by their visuals that I wanted to do something similar for you guys and really create that ambiance. And I thought to myself, you know, of anything that I could make, the Silver Unicorn feels like it would be reusable. So I'm talking about this for a long time in today's episode because I want to emphasize that I spent a long time on this. My wife was pregnant, and I, I cannot communicate how 
annoyed with me she was as huh. I sat there at the, kitchen, at the kitchen table every night after work, working on this tavern, you know, spray painting it, painting it, um, putting highlights on it, like, like just work, work, work to make this thing look good. And I think it did look good. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I thought it looked great. Um, I, this is part of the reason that I actually enjoyed this game so much was just the, the set piece. The set piece in, in general, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, and I hadn't told you guys about it. So you walked in and, you know, the house is darkened. You walk into to our dining room and boom, dark dining room, skulls with tea lights. And then here is this tavern with, with and I had the roof on it. So all you guys saw were the windows, um, the, 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 the exterior of the tavern and the windows were actually flickering. Yes. Thanks to the tea lights. So it, it's like seeing, it was like seeing a tavern in the distance. It, it looked, uh, I, I was, it was, it, it was very amateurish, but to be an amateur, I was very happy with how it came out. I thought it was great. So I thought we were about to walk into the best session I had ever DM'd. Like I was so excited. I had sort of, you know, I was taking a break from, from the pre-written adventures I was going back to what made our very first game so good, and I had completely chosen um, Zombie and Zombie Minions. So let's get into the actual game. So you guys start playing, and basically I, I unleash a zombie apocalypse on the town of Falkrest. You absolutely did. Yep. So uh, some zombies burst in the room, and they were minions, and you guys defeated them pretty handily. And then you looked outside. And I had this really dramatic moment where when you looked outside, I took this big piece of foam core, in which I had cut out the shape of the tavern and I was able to just set it around the tavern and I had glued tons, actually Susan. So my wife had actually done the gluing. She had glued tons of zombies from the bag of zombies from Amazon, from some zombie board game. She glued a ton of those in the phone core. So, so you look at the window and then boom, I set this phone core down and the tavern is surrounded by zombies. That was the defining moment for me. Um, you know how you play a video game or oh, heck let's 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 just go to real life uh you are in a scare like uh when you're driving you think you're accidentally going to hit somebody or somebody's going to hit you and you your heart skips a beat and your stomach your stomach hits the hits the floor and you're like oh crap or if you're like in a video game and you take a tremendous fall and like oh crap my character's going to die and they like all but die they have they get reduced down to like the minimal hit points like when i saw the zombies like my stomach hit the floor my heart skipped a beat and i thought oh crap we are so screwed it like just it was the most uh emotional point that for me yet maybe ever uh in playing a game the emotion happened to be fear but it was still emotion it was awesome yeah and, and that's exactly what i've been going for so at this point in the session i was still pretty pleased and brian i don't i remember you took advantage of the mechanic but i can't remember who came up with the mechanic that we were going to use those chairs and those tables that I had built and populated the tavern with to bar the doors and windows. Yes. So you guys immediately had the idea, okay, you know, we, we've got to, we've got to fortify this tavern and we've got to weather this, this zombie night. Um, you guys immediately went kind of a Minecraft route and figured that, okay, in the morning things will probably be okay. Let, let's try to survive the night. So you, you, you fortify, you turtle up the tavern. Um, turtle. Is that a phrase? Yeah. I've never heard of that before. You, 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 you got everything indoors, and you 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 clammed up. Um, as I recall, you were trying to nail the shutters shut for all the windows. You were putting um, tables and chairs in front of everything, and then I think you you mentioned before we recorded today that you remember the strength check. Yeah, I had to do a strength check because I wanted to. It was like a huge. Was it the bar? 
No, it was it was just a table. Okay, so I wanted to put the table to uh, basically block off the door, but you I, you said I needed a fairly high strength check to do it because it was a very very heavy table. I think I rolled like an eighteen or a nineteen or something. I think you critted actually. I, okay, well, I basically the way that you uh, DM'd it, narrated it, was I basically kicked the door across the room. Effectively and blocked the door. Yeah, the, the, the table across the room into, yeah. into the door, and yeah. I narrated it slamming into the door. Superman-like, almost. Yeah. And then the mechanic that, that I'd come up with on the fly, because again, you guys had the idea to pile up tables and chairs that hadn't even occurred to me. Um, I was taking Mark's advice to make them separate pieces, but it didn't occur to me how you would use them. So thank goodness I took his advice on that. But the mechanic I used was that every table or chair that was in front of the door made the strength check two points harder for the zombies to get in. And a zombie, uh, yes. a zombie would get in every time one of them made a successful strength check on a, on a door or a window. And that's how they were. That's how there was a constant stream of zombies getting in. So as you guys fight these zombies that, that are constantly streaming in, um, the heel turn was going to be that it was going to be revealed that Mike's character, this cleric, was actually uh, a member or, or one of these necromancers, and that he was using the skull to reanimate these corpses to get rid of the player characters. And I had these index cards and I was, I was every couple of rounds, I was having you guys make perception checks. And it just so happened that Chris was the first one to actually hit it. Cause it's a pretty high perception check. And I, every time someone hit the perception check, I would, I would pass this note that was revealing more and more about, Hey, Mike's character maybe isn't doing as much damage as he could. Hey, the next successful perception check you actually notice that the zombies are, are avoiding Mike's character. They're not really attacking him. Um, so kept piling those on. And the whole time I'm trying to give nonverbal signals to Mike because at the dramatic moment, he was going to reveal himself to be the villain, um, cast some spells, and then leap through a window and escape since the zombies wouldn't hurt him. So we get to that last perception check. And I pass, it was, it was, so Chris got the first one and Chris also got the last one. I pass in the last note where I was like, you know, the, on the index card was, you're pretty sure that Mike's character is in cahoots with the zombies. This was like, this was thrown down. It was the last card. Um, it was the last clue. It was all the pieces falling into place for, for Chris's character. And I was trying to indicate to Mike non-verbally, hey, you need to drop the charade and you need to go on the attack against the other players. And he didn't pick up on it. Like I gave him the significant nod and he gave me the significant nod back. <laughs> and then the next round, when it was Chris's turn, he announces to all the player characters, Hey, and he holds up the index card. Mike's the bad guy. The zombies aren't attacking him. And then Chris went full on assault and attacked Mike's character. And so did all of you. And you took Mike's character down before he was able to get a single round of combat in. Yeah. Uh, that, in that respect, it was it was very anticlimactic. That part, yeah, it was a huge anticlimax. And as soon as he was down, you know, the, the zombies petered out. Like the new zombies stopped appearing. Um, the zombies became listless. They 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 weren't as as focused on the same goal. They weren't acting as a single unit anymore. And you guys were able to to help the town take out the zombies pretty quickly. So that was the end of the game. And you know, I, I told the story pretty quickly. It took a while to make all those perception checks. Um, quite a few zombies got in and, and you guys were able to fight them off. Uh, a few of the zombies weren't minions, by the way. Um, some of the ones that got through were a bit of a tougher fight, but the whole game was centered on one gimmick, which was 
the zombies trying to get in and, and getting in every time they made a, a successful strength check. And lots of zombies were making checks, by the way. So zombies were getting in almost every round. Um, that was one. That that was the main gimmick. With the secondary gimmick of the heel turn, and I learned a couple of valuable lessons. I felt like the game was a huge letdown for me. I remember we were doing kind of a recap in the kitchen, and I, I let you guys in. You know, hey, this was a huge letdown for me. We we didn't get the climax in with Mike's character, um, and Mike was fine. He was very zen about it. He was totally fine with it. Um, I took it a lot harder than I think you guys did. So this is one of those things where I think this was not on a podcast, but you and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks back, and I was talking about how poor my memory is. I remember the way things make me feel more so than specifics around anything in particular. And this is one of those games where the highs of that game were so high that it whitewashes any negative uh, impression that I might have had. Yeah, the thing with Mike was a little anticlimactic. But from my perspective, while yes, I didn't have a fun encounter killing him, uh, I still won. And in, simu- in simulating combat, that's really what you want, is you want to go in and you want to have as little uh, collateral damage as possible. So in reality, I thought, it, in hindsight, in a way, that was really successful. Yeah, okay. I felt okay. So Let's talk about lessons learned now. So we'll cover the worst part first, the, the anticlimax, the worst part for me. I had a moment there as, as the DM where I faced a decision. You know, I could have given Mike some temporary hit points. I could have let him know, hey, you know, when he said, oh, I'm dead. I thought about saying to him, actually, Mike, you're not dead. Actually, because I had this other character sheet that was his that was his real character. He had his character sheet that was his cleric. And then I had another character sheet that was his anti-cleric. So I, I thought about passing that character sheet over to him and say, actually, now, you know, to, to borrow a, a joke from anime, actually, now you assume your final form. Yeah. And, and here you and, and let him, you know, stay alive for a few more rounds that way and get some licks in. But I decided not to do that. I felt like and other podcasts talk about how GMs and players shouldn't think of it as winning or losing. Um, the whole group wins or loses. Uh but I, the way I viewed it is you guys had won fair and square. You made the perception checks. You figured it out. The zombies weren't attacking him. Um, he wasn't really attacking them terribly effectively. And, you know, you figured that out. Through the perception checks, you figured that out. You you, you took decisive action. And you defeated him as soon as his turn was over. Um, you guys started piling on to, to keep him from being able to attack you guys, which was a bit metagamey, but... You know, hey, it was your strategy that as soon as he acts and he has that moment where he's acted, you guys all piled on him. I thought, you know what? Fair enough. I'm going to let this stand. I'm not going to tweak the outcome. I'm not going to shortchange the strategy that you guys had put together amongst yourselves of attacking as soon as he had attacked. Uh, And I let the anticlimax stand because that felt realistic to me. Yeah, um, I I can appreciate that. In hindsight, maybe if you wanted to go a little farther, uh, maybe you could have set out a mechanic to where, okay, so he was annihilated handily here, uh, but he truly is more powerful and this is just a shell. But, you know, again, through some deus ex machina, how about we bring him We bring him back for at least a little more uh, fun? Uh, his, his final form um, uh, is exposed, but you don't get the perfect realization of it you get like the 
like a mid form, then you would cut his st- cut his health down to half or something, or drop his AC, uh, maybe a couple of uh, points, just so that you get a couple of r- extra rounds in and have some fun, uh, but uh, aren't necessarily uh, penalized for, uh, you know, just for the sake of trying to continue a game that you had set out to put in place. So are you saying if, if you'd been the DM? You, you... Oh, I totally wouldn't have thought of that. This is this is years later, just in hindsight. Sure. And I, I'm I'm actually okay letting the anticlimax stand. For me, the lesson learned isn't that I didn't take the action because I could have. I, I had that thought in the moment, and I decided not to. That, for me, isn't the lesson learned. For me, the lesson learned is, you know, if I would have had to make the metagame comment, Mike, it's time for your character to go in the offensive, I think it would have been better for me to make that comment and make sure he made it happen than trying to rely too much on passing notes. Yeah. I was trying too hard to separate metagame from endgame. And don't get me wrong, separation there is important, but taking it too seriously and worrying too much about it is is problematic in its own way. Yeah, and honestly, it's one of those things where even if you had cued him once, uh, we would have still been confused, and it would have it would have become... Uh, apparent as to what was going on as Mike was attacking us. So we, we would still be surprised involved. So I guess lesson learned, communicate with your players, especially if you're doing a heel turn or you have something special planned for some character, um, you know, really, really communicate and communicate openly and favor openness over subtlety. Yeah, I would say that's fair. So the other big lesson learned for me was, the time and effort I'd sunk into the props, and I will never do that again. <laughs> I will literally never do that again. I have done versions of that since, and I've, I've relearned the same lesson. Um, we will talk probably, gosh, episodes and episodes from now, a long way in the future, about the Ninja Turtle game that we did. Oh, God, that was year. great. You see, again, same thing. I think the same thing. I, I, don't, I don't think it was good. I had put too much effort into the mini and the props and not enough into the story. But, uh, the, so, okay, okay, uh, analogy here. So, say I go to a, a very expensive restaurant that has all of the, all of the, uh, has this, the lighting, the setting, the, uh, silverware, like nice, uh, glassware. Yeah, and the food, eh, food's okay. But, you know, I can justify spending, you know, $50 on the plate because at least I'm getting the experience out of it. Uh, because of just how well everything else is prepared. The meal itself may just be okay, but it's the whole experience. And I think a DM is responsible for selling an experience, not just being really good at one specific aspect. In general, I agree. But I think your memory plays tricks on you. Absolutely in, in, does. In, in a good way for D&D. Um, think about a session where we use some pretty crummy visuals. Uh, think about... Um, you know, so we've been playing a Pathfinder campaign recently, and we've been using pawns from the beginner box. And, and pawns are a good mini experience in terms of, you know, the, the mini looks like something, and you can tell where the character is because they're on the grid. But they're not that phenomenal as far as they're not 3D. They have that whole white background thing, so it's very obvious. It's very gamey. But I think it's good enough. And I don't think when you remember any of our last games, Brian... Do you even remember the pawns, or do you just remember what happened? As if the pawns weren't even there, as if it really were, you know, 
as, as if it really was the orcs. Uh, the gargoyle, for example. Do you remember the gargoyle pawn, or do you remember a gargoyle? I remember a gargoyle. I don't remember. I remember where it was. I remember the mechanic that we should have caught on to. And I remember that there was a gargoyle, but I don't, I couldn't tell you what it looked like. So that to me is, is case in point. I, I'll never put that much work into the visuals ever again, because a month from, from a month after the game, the visuals don't matter anyway. Hey, I just pulled up the photo from that game and I think it still looks pretty dang amazing. Wow. I, I have not. So I made the decision about two years ago to get rid of that, um, that set piece. So it's gone now, and it's, I haven't seen a picture of it since then. And, and again, it's nowhere near what DM Scotty pulls off. It's nowhere near that. But, oh, I'm still proud of it. I thought it was great. I loved it. Yeah, I forgot that I made the back wall kind of cut away so that I could see inside easily from the DM side, from the back side. I had forgotten that I'd made that wall cut away, but I really like the effect still. Yeah, I think it's great. I was, I was incredibly impressed. Yeah, the, the log cabin look really worked uh this picture brian it'll, it'll be linked from the show notes yeah it'll be there awesome which you can get at uh, tfradio.net uh click on uh rpg lessons learned i do so many podcasts it's it's easy to forget the names uh it's it's like my pets i call max buddy and buddy max it's, i'm terrible uh but from there you can uh, click on the itunes link or the rss link or the subscribe from Android link, or the subscribe by email link. Just there's so many ways that you can get our show and other shows uh, to your device, to your phone, to your computer, however you choose to engage with us, we are there. So uh, please subscribe. So I have, I'm an Android guy, and I'll, I like Android, but I don't have iTunes. And I don't believe iTunes is available on Android, correct? Uh, yes, you would be correct. So I use two different apps for podcasts. Um, I prefer using the, the Google's default, uh, Play Music. Mm -hmm. I prefer using that. Um, We're there. We are? Yes, yes, we are. Awesome. And then I also use Podcast Republic. Do subscribes from those apps count the same way that they do from iTunes? Uh, absolutely. The only difference is with iTunes. iTunes does has a really great podcast aggregator. It, I would say it's the de facto standard. Basically, every almost every podcast in existence is there. And... Uh, I would say the iTunes uh, scores, the reviews, weigh a little more because people tend to go by those. But otherwise, I mean, a download is a download is a download. A subscriber is a subscriber is a subscriber. There just happens to be more people and more eyeballs looking at the iTunes Store and Apple Podcasts than the others. But I, you know, I'm an Android user as well, so when I have to talk in terms of Apple Podcasts and everything else, I. Uh, Sometimes I fumble a little bit. I actually ended up getting a used iPad so that I could talk about how to subscribe and stuff. I know that's crazy. <laughs> that's dedication. Yeah. All right. So summing up from this week, uh, don't worry so much about the visuals. That's the wrong thing to prepare. Um, prepare the story over visuals and favor open communication over subtlety at, t at the table. It makes for a better experience. It's, it's better to shepherd the experience openly than to let something fall flat. Um, having said all that, Brian, next week we're talking about one of my favorite games I've ever run, Dusk. Yeah, that was a like I remember how things make me feel. This was the one that provided a, a true moral quandary, uh, unlike I've ever even had to experience in real life. So it's amazing. I, I I'm looking forward to talking about that. And it was a hugely fun game from a from a DM's point of view. So next week, Dusk. 
People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.